under in. Hello, hello. Hello, hello gents. How are you? Good. Hey, How are you? Very well, thank you. Yeah, very well. This light's a bit weird. Shall I turn it off? I think you're good. Better? Not, I don't care. It's it's fine. Fine. Doesn't matter to me. Yeah. As long as you're happy, I'm happy. So, <laughs> sorry. Look, we're all work from home, so nobody cares about the lighting, in my opinion, particularly in a in a in a video podcast. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I agree. We're very agree. we're very low maintenance, anyways. So. Oh, I love that. I'm already looking forward to it. Yeah. So do we oh. don't have any we don't have any script or planned questions or anything. So all of our shows are just you know free flowing random conversation. We go wherever we go, right. and uh, you know at the end we'll probably ask you how we can be helpful to you and um give you a chance to kind of maybe plug something you're up to or yeah uh, not up to much sitting at home <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh, well, yeah, if you need if you need some new netflix shows or you know yeah. something hey, you know we're, we're happy to I go need. there that's the stuff that i need good recommendations for tv uh, different brands of wine that I can experiment with. You there know, anything like that. Stuff. There you go. <laughs> Scott, Scott's the tequila drinker, so if you want to know about tequila. Oh, really? I love tequila. It has to be good, proper Mexican tequila, not this Jose Cuervo nonsense, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. so if you need any, you know, tequila advice, I'm your guy. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm making notes, Scott. I'm writing it down. I won't forget. Cool. So, so this is just really sort of how it goes. Um, so I, I think the best place for us, you know, that we always love to start is just sort of understanding like, what was your background like in sales? Like, I, I don't even mean like your first sales job, but like as a, as a child, were you a hustler? Were you trying to make money? Were you always hammering mom and dad for a job? Like, you know, nope. no, nope. when I was a kid, I was a geek. It was all about the books for me. Books, 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 school, learn. That was it. I never had any idea where my career would take me, but I knew I would go to university, and that was really my only goal for my entire childhood. So, so how did you discover sales? So I call myself regularly to my clients an accidental saleswoman. So I had been to university, as discussed, um, and I did what most people here in the UK do after university, which is go backpacking for a year. Um, spent a year traveling, came back to the UK, had no money, and I saw an advert for a job that said, do you have a university degree, and have you been to two non-European continents? And they were literally the only two things I had. <laughs> I Right, And it turns out when I got the job that it was a sales job in the travel industry. And that was my very first full-time job at our university. Did, did anybody teach you how to sell? Did you, did they have a program for you or, or was it like, here you go. Good luck. They did have a program. So I was very lucky. It was a, it was a large international travel agency and they are very, very well established. Um, and they did have a really good quality training program. Um, and I would say that a huge part of my technique came from that world. 
but my passion for selling came from the fact that I was selling something I loved so much and the joy of seeing a family you know going on or taking photos of or, or having that travel experience that they had so dreamed of having and it being about me was the thing that made me really excited about selling it was definitely for me the connection with making people happy and solving problems uh, and adding value that got me excited but yeah the technique came from good old-fashioned training cool and you go ahead scott i was gonna say so you've been running your own company elation sales for quite a while now 11 and a half years or so yeah. why don't you tell everybody you know what uh what elation sales is all about and and where you're at and um you know kind of what you're up to so people have context of course. So um, you're going to get a bit of a theme developing here because setting up Elation was also a bit of an accident. <laughs> of all of it, accident. My life is not so well planned, but don't tell my clients that because they kind of expect that from me. Um, so I have been in senior level sales my whole life. I worked my way up in the travel agency to manager. Then I moved company and was business development managers, business development directors, you name it, across big corporate businesses. And in 2009, I had my daughter and I went on to maternity leave from a big PLC, a huge uh, recruitment company here in the UK, one of the largest. I went on to maternity leave with the full expectation that I would go back to work after four weeks. I was a workaholic. I had a huge salary. Everybody, even my mum, absolutely bought into the idea that I would be back at my desk in four weeks. And three and a half weeks into being a mummy, I looked at my little girl and I said, never going back. So I quit that day and my husband came home from work and said, hey honey, what did you do today? And I said, I quit my job. And he was like, oh, pardon? Um, and so then I had to find a way to make money. Did you and have, have any plan when you, when you quit? Did you have a plan at all no. of like, I'm gonna do this? No. Nope. Absolutely not. I had no, I had never worked in a small business or for a small business. I just knew I couldn't go back to that job. And I knew that I would have to if I didn't quit. So I quit. Um, and over the, so my daughter was born in March. Over the period of March and April and May, I started to think about what could I do? How could this work? The only thing I knew how to do was sell. So I set up as a freelance sales consultant. I got my first client in July 2009. And then by October 2010, I had 11 full-time employees. Wow. So you, you grew your business quickly. I hustled, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did what you balance you that? How did you balance that? Because you even said, you know, on the one end, you're a workaholic. You love going yeah. to work. On the other yeah. end, you, you became, you know, a full-time mom and loved yeah. that equally, right? And now all yeah. of a sudden, you're going to go take this workaholic mentality to build how did you find that balance because i think there's so many women and men who struggle right i, I think it's you know you carry the baby you birth the baby so it's, i think it's definitely different for a woman i think sure. but how do you create that balance as you're building a company and essentially building a, a new life for this child yeah. and caring for yeah. it how did you how did you create that balance great question two two things i think really number one 
it was my only objective. It, it, that was my reason for doing this, was that I could be with my child. Um, and so I really maximised on the fact that I could be flexible. I never worked more than 20 hours in the nine to five working day, never. Some weeks I'd work 80 hours, but it would be after five when my husband was home, it would be at weekends, it would be in the evening, but my day-to-day -day, nine to five when I was with my little girl was never more than 20 hours until she got to about three and a half, four. Um, we got our first childminder, so that was important. Um, but I also think that, you know, I, I absolutely love the skill set that sales provides human beings. I just think it's so powerful. And one of the things that really good salespeople learn is how to control their clients, is how to influence decisions, is how to guide them. So I just set really clear expectations and I worked the way that I wanted to work. And I made my clients buy into the fact that that was a valuable way to do things and, and it would still work. So I just was very, very strict about what I would and wouldn't deliver and how I would and wouldn't work. I didn't leave my house for the first two years. I did everything remotely. I'm quite good at this stuff now, this time of, this time of our lives. So yeah, just determination, like dogged determination. It was gonna work. One of the things I think people struggle with when they first go into business for themselves is, is understanding that you don't have to say yes to every single client opportunity, right? Yeah. So can you dig into that a little bit more? Like, let's say that I was a prospect for you in, in the early days yeah. and you know, you certainly could use the money, but I'm like, well, you know, I only want to pay you 25% or half of what you, yeah. you know, what your fee is or whatever. How did, what were your strategies or criteria for saying no to clients then? And how have they evolved to now? How do you say no now? Right. Um, so I think one of the benefits of the fact that I set up a business with no business plan, with no website, with no marketing, nothing, was that the only way that I won my clients was by proactive outbound selling. I picked up the phone and I asked for business. So I got to choose who I rang, yeah? So every inquiry was controlled by me, so that made a difference. I handpicked my clients, I rang the people I wanted to work with. Um, I still think that's hugely powerful and I still do that now. Um, did I bend on price? Yes. Yeah, I was an absolutely unknown entity. Everybody who worked with me was taking a punt in those early days. I knew that, they knew that. Um, when I started up my business, I was working for 18, 20, sometimes 25 pounds an hour. Now, I wouldn't turn my computer on for less than 150 pounds an hour, but that's because I've earned it. Yeah, so recognize that, that need to be flexible. Um, but I'm, I'm a firm believer, identify who your perfect client is and just work with them. Like find out, be clear who they are um, and, and make them happy. And that's, that's the simple fact, isn't it? Yeah. Where did you, what was the moment that was there a moment where you were with your daughter and you were like, okay, I'm just going to go do this. Like, I'm, and again, I always like to come back to this stuff because I don't know what it's like to be the mom where you're like this level of passion for two things. Yeah. And, and you know, when did you kind of realize that? Was oh, it was a in a moment. It was in a moment. I was sitting with her on the sofa one day and I looked down at her and I just knew that I would absolutely not be able to go back to work. And I knew it so deeply that 
there was no other influencing factors on my decision. I just knew I'd have to quit because I couldn't leave her. It wasn't right for me or her to do that. Um, I normally measure my decisions much more than that. I think that's why it was a shock for everyone when it happened. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, a big, that's a big, bold, scary move for most people. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I'd never made a big, bold, scary move like that before. I'd had a very steady career in sales with very steady success, with very steady earnings. I was a at this point, I was 32 and I was a very high earner, a very high earner for a woman of my age. Um, but it, 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 was trans it was just transformational. There was just no other option in my mind. Uh, it turns out it's the best thing that ever happened to me because my company is no. the now, second love of my life. Now, how do you how do you go from like making this big bold decision to having yeah. 11, 11 employees in like less than a year? You know, I, I've been at this for almost a year full time on my own, yeah. and God knows I could use the help and hire employees and all this kind of thing. But like, yeah. the part of me is maybe a control freak and doesn't want to let go of certain things. Part of oh, me yeah. is like I don't want the burden of responsibility of anybody on my payroll. Yeah. Right. Um, so I personally like struggle with this big time. And I, and I currently am just landing on, I really like just working for me and not having to worry about anybody else. But you did the opposite of that. It seems like you went really quick in my mind into having like a full blown team. What was yeah. the, what was the thought there? Bit of naivety, I think. Um, I didn't. I, I hadn't considered my business nearly an intelligent enough a way to have had that conversation in my head, Scott. Like I hadn't. I hadn't had that debate with myself. Um, right now, in my business today, I have three employees. So that will tell you a bit about yeah. what I learned over the years. Um, what happened was very early on in my attempt at being a, a sales consultant. I would write strategies for businesses and I would support managing directors to create sales processes. And it very quickly became clear that in a lot of small businesses, these guys, they can't implement my process because everyone's terrified of picking up the phone. Nobody wants to talk to anybody on the phone. It's a dirty word and it horrifies everybody. Um, so the only way they could implement this process was by outsourcing their phone work. So I spent, six weeks in my back bedroom cold calling for 10 different companies and went no you know i did not set up in business to be cold calling from my back bedroom so i took on a business developer and she was so good that demand went up and she was so good that demand went up and so what i had i had not well eight full-time outbound business developers and then it that 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 transformed into a telemarketing agency which i sold then in 2010 no 2015 i sold the agency i just built it for equity and sold it so what was so what do your three core employees do now right it's like where, how do you deviate the responsibility because i i'm in the same boat as scott i've hired some part-time people i'm just i'm asking selfishly because i i'm curious like what others are doing but but I think that's a big piece that people, there's so much to do, you don't know where to put the energy, right? Yeah, or the yeah. resource. 
Yeah. So a, a big part of why I sold the telemarketing agency was because I did not want to manage, when I sold it at 24 employees, I didn't want to manage a big team of call center staff. That wasn't my passion. My passion is the plans, the processes and the practices that a business needs to put in place to really drive growth. So I sold that element of the business and I began to focus on our framework around sales process, sales management, sales training and actually delivering service uh, development services to businesses um, and that obviously is, is much lighter in staff I now have a, uh, a full-time head of client services who, who manages and delivers my clients programs we have a full-time business manager and everybody else is outsourced or freelance everyone we have a pool of associates we have a finance manager we have IT and marketing experts but they're all freelance or consultants um because that's that's an easier model for me to manage i also don't want to man manage every day i want to serve my clients that's what i love so yeah we had to get rid of the people i don't regret it and, and what what are a couple of these like fundamental pillars that you help companies put into place if you can share so let's let's say that i'm a, a small business owner i would be one of your clients yeah and you're, you're like 10 commandments are like, okay, these are the things that you have to do straight away. Like we can't, yeah. we can't wait. Sure. Of course. Well, so I took a long time to answer that question. I'm really glad you didn't ask me 10 years ago. Um, cause I definitely would not have had an answer. <laughs> um, but I spent a long time, you know, it, it, the world of sales training consultancy is, is, deeply saturated um, and actually there's not a lot of people that can answer that question really effectively uh, across any sector um, so we went about in 2010 I started building a framework which is called the growth framework um, we've since been tested hundreds of companies have, have followed the framework um, and the growth framework says that in order for a business to have a really effective sales operation, it has to have three pillars in place, and we call these the three pillars of successful selling. And what they say is you have to have great sales process. You have to have a really slick customer journey that is well-controlled and well-managed in your business. You have to have really great sales communications, yeah, that people who are talking to your customers need to be saying good stuff all the time, in writing or in words. And you have to have really great sales management. You have to have an inspirational, high-performing culture that is led by someone who absolutely gets it. Um, and if you've got those three pillars in place in your business and you're really effective in all three of them, then you will meet your growth aspirations. Um, and anytime you're not, you can dig around into one of those pillars and start to diagnose where it's not quite as sharp as it needs to be and, and change it and get better. So it's, an, it's a nice formula. It, it's something manageable for non-sales professionals to get their teeth into, I guess. Yeah. The only thing that, that I didn't hear there is a good product to sell. Where, ah. where does the product come into this three pillars that you, that you talk about? I love the three pillars, but I'm thinking... So, so the way that the way that we productized it, we've got three streams of product around the growth framework. P -p the stream number one, the top tier, is a growth framework platinum evaluation. So myself and a member of my team will go into a business, we spend two days in that business, and we audit and evaluate their business in all three of those pillars. We interrogate their CRM, we meet their salespeople, we look at their marketing materials. But they're, but they're, if their product is shit, though, do you just say, okay, I have nothing I can do here, like, I gotta, I gotta step back? 
I wouldn't go in. I wouldn't. We do a really very detailed discovery with our clients, first of all. And part of our mission statement and on all of our proposals is we never work with failing businesses. We work with successful businesses who want to take their business to the next level. I'm not a turnaround specialist. I can't fix stuff that's so broken it's fallen over. Our clients are successful, profitable businesses who have massive growth aspirations and really take themselves seriously. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't claim to to be able to, to turn around a failing ship at all. I don't, don't think that's much fun either, is it? Oh, it's, it's very hard. I've done it once before. And, uh, oh, it ended up being rewarding, but um, not, sure. not the same. Do you, do you sell, are most of your clients in, in Europe and the UK? Do you have any in the States? Yeah, we do have clients in the States. Yeah, uh, just we were just bursting into America um, before Corona started. So last September, um, we went over and did some workshops there. And then we started taking two Washington-based businesses through our growth framework. Um, they, the, the, the evaluation that I was talking about, that two-day evaluation, that then gives you a suite of reports that give you a diagnostic around what needs to happen in your business is then followed by a 12-month growth program that slots in training, consultancy, coaching, mentoring, um, all around your areas for development uh, along the framework. And we just started to do that with an American company when I got bound for flying to America. <laughs> what, do you, what do you see as the difference in selling in, in, in the selling styles of the yeah. sales reps in the US and the UK? It's always an interesting question. Um, so I'm just I'm curious as to your thoughts of that. Yeah, I love I love that question. I I really adore working with and in America, and um, and one of the reasons for that is that the the biggest difference and and I have worked with American companies previous to this. This is when I used to be the European sales director for a big American drainage company, um, and the biggest difference is the attitudes towards salespeople in America. Over here, it's such a dirty word. Yeah, you do not tell your friends at a dinner party that you're a sales director. Yeah, that's not how that works. Nobody. Well, as even, even even, even today, that's true? Yes, yes. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd rather that you were a lawyer, a policeman, a judge, anything else. Um, sales, people who um, have a senior level career in sales over here are almost always considered manipulative, manipulative or dishonest. Wow. Blank exception, yeah? No kids in school ever say, I want to be a sales guy when I grow up. They just, it just isn't a thing here. Um, uh, people hate selling, they hate being sold to, and, and so it is incredibly difficult to gain credibility and reputation in the sales profession. Um, and that is, that, that, that's, not, that's not nice. The thing I most love is considered to be something really negative. In America, I got nothing but respect, enthusiasm. I saw the kudos that these sales guys had. You know, I was working with senior level field sales reps. Um, and they're respected. They have kudos. I loved all that. That's exciting for me. And that changes outcomes, doesn't it? That perception. It's interesting because I, I mean, I think people will say that they're in sales in the United States, but I still think it's seen as a dirty word, you know, to you? Oh yeah. At least, you know, um, and they don't understand, you know, it's, it's fascinating. I have conversations. I have friends who are lawyers and uh, people who are like, chemists at Genentech, big bio company. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, we always talk about work and, and they don't know how to ask me, what do I do? They don't know how to ask mm -hmm. me, 
you know, like, so how was your day? What did you do today? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, so it's very, very interesting. Um, so Scott's smiling. I'm wondering if it's a dirty word though, Richard. I think they think it's an uncomfortable word and that they're, cause their only experience is, is in a transactional environment, right? Their experience as a consumer in most cases is that they're transactional, you know, a TV, a car. I don't think I have um, very many friends who are not in sales. So I don't run into this problem very much. Yeah, I'm the only one in my entire peer group, the only salesperson, to, but yeah, for sure. <laughs> you said something really interesting, so, Karen, which is about the, uh, uh, how crowded the field is, if you will, and how hard it is to distinguish yourself. So um, what are some of the, the ways that you have tried to distinguish yourself and what advice would you have for those who are trying to follow suit? Is this like a geographic distinction? Is it a gender distinction? Is it like a stylistic distinction? How do you, how do you think about that, if at all? Well, how do I make myself stand out here in the UK market? Anywhere. Yeah. Do you know what? I think that that's a question that I should be much better answering. I, it took me a very, very, very long time, a very long time, like I'm not sure if I'm even there right now, to really recognise the value that I'm able to add. Like I was always smashing all of my sales figures. I was just doing it by turning up, trying as hard as I could, and I never really analysed what was happening there. Um, and then the biz my business has evolved so organically, there was never a point where I set myself a plan and then I hit it and I went, yeah, I strategically delivered on this plan. I just kept on getting clients. Um, and we've done a lot of work over the last couple of years on what is our messaging? What really is the, the stuff that elation gives to people? Um, and universally it comes back now at now, to the content that we deliver. We're one of the few business growth organizations in the UK that has legitimately unique content. There is nothing, our coaching models, our training models, my keynote speeches, nothing is taken from anywhere else. I write it all myself. Um, and I think that a unique selling point is really, really, really hard to achieve. Yeah, um, so how, do you, how, do you, how do you lead with that, that the fact that you have a unique program and unique <clears throat> philosophy and explanation of of certain things because especially from an outsider perspective yeah. like richard and i over the course of the last six months um have spoken to and met with tons of uk sales leaders right so we've had we've had allison on the show we've had jules on the show you're here on the show we've yeah. got um Oh, I'm blanking on some of the, the other ladies, but like Daniel uh, Disney's been on. That's been on, right? Yeah. Like, and, and so from an outsider, it's like, okay, I'm getting exposure to all these UK sales and thought leaders now. Yeah. How do I kind of distinguish whose area of expertise is what? That's kind of what I'm getting at. And so if you, you've got this like unique content, you feel so, how do, how do you? market that a little better, a little stronger, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I really do. And I'm, I'm not gonna pretend, Scott, that that isn't our biggest challenge because yeah. in order to really get underneath the skin of what we do, it takes a bit of time. Like I would normally have invested hours communicating with, educating a client before they sign up with us. Um, and we still have not 
um, perfected that that magic formula of what's the what's the two sentence message, like unique primary message that we say that makes people go, wow, I get it. We haven't done that yet. We're we're, we're still a business that is evolving, and we're still learning about that. I think, um, I, think the, I think what's a really interesting point about that, and and good on you is. Um, a lot of people, I think, don't go forward until they have answered that, right? And at least here, they do. There's a lot of people who are like, oh, I can't do anything yet because I need to get all these ducks in a row. I need to have my messaging perfect. And here you are, and you're sort of saying, nah, fuck all that. Like, you don't have to have everything perfect, right? Like, you're still, you're still going. You're still growing. You're still, you know, doing good yeah. in your business. Is there a thing you need to improve on? Sure, there's a thing you need to improve on, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be perfect. No, no, I think the thing is that the stuff that has to be perfect for me, absolutely without question, is my client's experience. Um, the, they need to receive an absolutely blinding experience when they're with us. They need to adore being coached. They need to buzz off being trained. They need to go away and they need to get better at what they're doing. Um, and, and the business owners need to be able to recognize and measure tangible business improvements. And we poured all of our energy into that. Like the growth framework in 2016 was awarded the UK's most effective business growth tool. We've won the UK's most innovative business growth product. Um, you know, this is, this is the only product in the UK that will allow you to audit and assess your business, benchmark it against what really world-class looks like, and write a performance improvement program that will nail all of those areas it's the there only you go. there's your there's your 30 second uh you know marketing clip you just, tell me about that. You just coached that out of me scott that was magic. you just nailed it have, have your team chop it up and you know you recycle that and there you go thank you <laughs> Well, Thank well, you. That's at thirty-one, right? by the way. That's about minute thirty-one in the in the recording. Maybe twenty twenty-nine. So there you go. Thank you. Is it, does that does that make it clearer what I just shared there? Uh, it, it it does, and and I think that that's something that we all um, in this particular field are challenged with and and struggle mm -hmm. with. You know, at, at at different levels. I mean, Richard and I do something very different. I think most people who don't know us think we do the exact same thing. And yeah. some people think that our business is the same and they don't know how to separate Surf and Sales and the Surf and Sales podcast from the Harris Consulting Group from Scott Lee's Consulting right. and they merge it all together. And, it, and this is, this is a, a branding issue for, for each of us, I think, and a messaging <laughs> issue, right? Like Richard does more sales training. I do more you know, advisory work with, with companies and less sales, sales training. Yeah. Um, it's just something that we're it's funny, even a month, even a month ago, I literally texted Scott half joking and half serious going, I still don't, he like, he was telling me, you know, how his month went. Cause we always, we sort of share, but compete on, on our yeah. revenue. And, and he's like, I still said, I don't even know what you do. <laughs> so, like we've been friends for 10 years and I don't know what his business <laughs> so, model is. So. There's a little bit of that uh -huh. that's intentional, Karen. Just a little bit that's intentional. Sure. I mean. Yeah. But it's, 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 I think it's fascinating because I think the world of sales is a mystery to those outside of it. Like I, I couldn't, there's not a single one of my friends that knows what I do. I have one friend 
this is an interesting reflection of that point. I have one friend who is a, an actress, a, a brilliant actress, um, and she therefore is very good at presenting and facilitating. And I was a man down at a big event in London and I was like, mate, you're gonna have to come. Um, I'd been in business seven years at this point. She's one of my closest friends. She knows what I do. Um, she watched me give a couple of seminars. She watched me do some facilitated workshops and some panel stuff. And at the end of the day, she was like, wow. That stuff you do, that's really useful for businesses, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, always has been. Thanks, though. Isn't she it, just had no concept. No concept. Isn't it so weird when people who maybe only know you in one particular fashion, like, stumble yeah. upon you in work mode or something yeah. like that? You know, like, there's some, there's some parents on my kids' sports teams who just only know me as, you know, the dad of Caleb, the dad of Braden, watching the soccer games and baseball games. And, that. and then all of a sudden they'll like, some of them have seen me on LinkedIn or like got a newsletter of mine or something. And they're like, what the fuck? I didn't know that you did all this kind of stuff. Do you, does that ever happen to you, Richard, where, where you're at? Yeah. It does. It does. But, I, you know, again, I'm, you know, most of my friends, all the parents on the kids' sports, they do know what I do. Right. They, they don't necessarily know how I do it or what I do, but they know what I do. Um, so it's a little bit different. But I, is, that, I, is that strategic on your part? Like, am, am I making a huge mistake just like not telling people what I what I do? I don't no, know. I think it's 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 my social awkwardness that makes that happen. Um, I'm very awkward about talking to myself. I'm not good at um, uh, in you know, I, I want to have conversations. I also think guys have a hard time opening up in general. So, you know, as you become a dad and, you know, all of a sudden there are dad play dates along with the kid play dates. And the only thing I can be relevant about, I think, to, in the, to begin with is work. And so what do you do? You know, what's that like? Da, da, da. And it's interesting. I used to tell my wife when, you know, when we could go out and meet people, Right. And go to a party and we, we, you know, you separate, we come back and we say, well, who did, who did you talk to? And I would say, oh, I talked to this person or that person. And she'd go, well, what do you think of them? And I said, well, you know, they don't know how to talk. And I'm like, she goes, what do you mean? I was like, I can easily say, so what do you do? Like, what are you up to? You know, cause I try not to go into the kid conversation because then it's just a fucking rabbit hole. Um, and, and, and then people never turn around and say, well, what do you do, Richard? And so it's, it's a measurement for me of how engaged and how much effort will I put back into this person, right? Um, so for, I guess I'm going through a sales process to a certain extent. Um, okay. So the, the funny, now the funny thing is I don't think any of my friends are going to sit here and listen to this episode, but if they did it, they'd probably all go, yeah, oh, I didn't know that's what you were doing. So, um, so it, it's interesting in that regard. Um, but I, I have a question. I have a, a, another question for you, Karen. Um, we talked we talk to a lot of women. Uh, one of our goals around the podcast is talk to underrepresented communities in general terms, whether it's women, yeah. color, you know, everything. And there's a common there's a common theme in the states about how hard it is to be a woman in sales. Um, just sort of the bias that's intentional and unintentional. Same thing in the UK, or is it is it? And and do you and do you even or you're like no, I've never noticed that Richard like I've never seen that. So. This is one of my soapbox subjects. I could talk about it all day. Um, I have 
I have a very specific experience of that. I, and, and the women out there are, are going to hate me, and please let me finish this sentence before you judge me. I didn't, genuinely did not realise um, the significant pay gap, the significant gap in opportunities, the significant gap in um, perception of ambition that existed in the UK at all until very recently. I've become very engaged with the feminist story more recently. I've done a lot of work with, with women's groups groups about that pay divide and I was quite shocked and I had a long conversation with my mum and I said how is it that I never ever I never I, I, I never got paid less than any of the guys around me I normally was the boss I always had male employees I rarely had a male boss um, I never felt limited in the ability to be promoted I, it just never ever crossed my mind that I was in a different scenario to the men around me and um, uh, my mum and I talked about it for a long time and I honestly think it's because she's a powerhouse she is a goddamn powerhouse my mother and in my life the only people of influence the breadwinners the decision makers were women my mum and my grandma so it never crossed my mind that women couldn't do what men did and I think because I had that, that that naive attitude I just smashed into the place of work and went oh where's my seat I didn't think about it so what happened? What was the moment where you were like, holy shit, this thing exists. I wasn't aware. And then I and then I want to kind of know, well, how are you coaching people? But first, I want to know sort of a little bit about the moment. And then yeah. now what do you say to women? I, I assume you know, you're talking to a lot of women these days, it sounds like, obviously. Thank you. But what's the advice as well? Well, so when the moment, there wasn't a moment when I found out. I mean, I, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of materials. You know, there's a huge amount about the feminist agenda out there. And um, it, it, I was hearing women, reading about women, telling stories about feeling like there were barriers to promotion, feeling like they couldn't be successful, feeling like they didn't have a career after motherhood. I was hearing reels of women who were feeling that. So I had to accept it was real, right? Just because I hadn't felt like that. Uh, you know, I knew that I, I was hearing that this is how women felt. And then it's not hard, is it, to educate yourself around the reality that there are huge pay gaps. Um, what we do right now, most specifically, is work with organisations around their recruitment processes and help them to understand how they can attract more women into their sales teams. That's the biggest... Yeah. What do you give the individual? What do you give to the individual who says, hey, Karen, you know, you know, I look up to you, you I, I follow you, I understand what you do, and I yeah. love your passion. I feel like I'm not being valued. Yeah. What, how do, what do you give them for advice that's, you know, hopefully practical yeah. to encourage them to go and, and be their own advocate? Yeah. Well, the, the first thing is I, I, I would specifically not coach a woman in a different way to the way I would coach a man. The way we should show up in this world, the way that we demonstrate credibility, the way that we create influence, um, it, it's, it's the same, you know, it's the same. Um, sometimes the challenge is around giving yourself permission to take up the space. Yeah, that's the challenge for women is I know I'm skilled. I, I know what good looks like, but I have to push a little bit harder to get to get the ability to show it. Um, so we talk an awful lot about how you create powerful influence. We have a program around how you gain the power dynamic in a business and how you demonstrate your influence. Um, we, we do a lot of um, modeling uh, in, in terms of language around how you can get buy-in. Um, you know, we're not teaching a woman a different set of skills, but we're teaching them how to 
create a bit more space for themselves so that they can use those skills. I think. What, are, what are one or two things if a woman's listening and they're like, okay, yeah, I, I actually need that. What are one or two things that they might want to hear from you to, to your point, one, give yeah. themselves permission, but more importantly, we'll hear two examples of something I would coach somebody to yeah. do. So I, yeah, first of all, I, I, I wouldn't claim that I can solve all women's problems in this area. I'm not, I'm not um, in any way uh, arrogant enough to suggest that. I think that one of the things that we talk about a lot with women is, is this challenge around imposter syndrome, around them not believing that they're good enough to do that, um, whatever that might be. And there's two very practical techniques that we, that we teach them. Number one is seek out the tangible proof right? Sit and look at, at some evidence in that business that would contradict or support your position. Yeah. Uh, evidence, so, evidence meaning like numbers, feedback. Numbers, yeah. So, so if I'm saying I can't do the job that that guy is doing, let's compare myself metrically to that guy. Am I hitting the same sales targets? Am I making the same number of calls? And am I hitting the same amount of money? Okay, great. So what else does this guy do? Well, this guy stands up in front of meetings and he tells people great motivational information. What evidence do I have that I can't do that? Where is there evidence that I can't do it? Because when we limit ourselves, we look for evidence that we can't. There's probably not any there, yeah? So we're really like, these, these, these barriers that people, and men can get imposter syndrome too, um, that people put in their way, um, these barriers are almost always because we don't, we don't seek out the evidence. They're emotional. They're not tangible. There's no proof out there we can't do it. We're just telling ourselves we can't because fear is speaking too loudly. So switch off the fear, look for the evidence. That, that, that is one fundamental thing. And sometimes I just say, just fuck it and go. Like, what, why would it hurt to apply for the job? Lead the meeting. What, just, you, and, and, and just get in there and do it. And if you fail, then you can feel like an imposter. But don't feel like an imposter before you've failed because that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so sometimes it's coaching and sometimes it's just be brave. Be brave and bold. I write about that a lot. Be brave and be bold. Yeah, I try to encourage people to literally walk through the worst case scenario. That's great, Go yes. through the whole thing. Like, what If this whole thing blows up, collapses, falls to bits, goes horribly wrong, like, where will you be? What will you do? What will that feel like? And a lot of times in going through that exercise, you realize, well, you know, I'm still here. It's not that bad. What is there to worry about then, right? <laughs> and I would imagine, Scott, that when you ask people to play that out and, and you say, what is the worst case scenario? They say, well, I'm, I'm frightened that I failed. And you said, well, you're frightened of failing already. So nothing's changed, actually, <laughs> right? So you can either be frightened of fail and do absolutely nothing, or you can be frightened of failing and give it a crack. <laughs> and, in the, in the, and the feedback is usually never anything overly dramatic. It's never like you're going to get fired or you're going to, you know, lose your, lose all the money you own or things like that. It's like, I'm, no. you're, you're worst case scenario is you might look silly for five minutes and people might think uh you weren't exactly the right person to talk on this oh my god yeah. okay i think you'll be okay i think we can survive this one yeah, and, yeah. I, I have one more question around this a little bit um and then i know we need to sort of move to wrapping but 
as a mom, your daughter's what, eight years old, nine years old? Eleven now. She is eleven. Eleven. Right. And this is why Richard is in not... sales and not a mathematics. <laughs> Great yeah. at numbers. <laughs> she, was, she said her daughter was born in two thousand nine, Richard. <laughs> Believe me, I have a hundred percent said, don't put me in sales operations to count the revenue. Um, just, just get, make sure my commission check is right. Um, and I don't know if you have another, she's your only child. Yeah. How do you coach her as a mom to be a, a strong woman? Right. What are the things that you see? Cause I think it's important. Right. Yeah. And, I, and again, I think particularly in this COVID world, we're all experiencing different things with our own kids and I'm, I'm curious how do you coach her to that so I don't I, I have never made a proactive decision that I'm going to educate her in a particular way about things um you know I I am here I am a woman who is successful and confident I'm really proud of what I do she sees me every day so a lot of that's osmosis um, I educate her intensely, like she's very, very commercially aware, she's very socially aware, you know, she came home at seven years old with a pad and a bit of paper and she'd written a list of all of the things that the world tell her that girls can't do, play football, make guns, all this kind of stuff, crazy, crazy stuff that comes out of a seven-year-old's head and set herself a mission that she was just going to complete all of those things because there can't be things that girls don't, that, that awesome. can do. Um, and it's just, it's just come from me being me, I think. Um, I tell her she's brave, I tell her she's brilliant, um, and I tell her she can be whatever she wants to be. Um, and, she, and I believe that and she believes that, and I don't care whether she works in a supermarket or she becomes a rocket scientist, and she knows I don't care. Um, as long as she is, she had a t-shirt when she was born and we make a new one every year on her birthday that says always be the kindest person in every room. Um, and I don't care what she does as long as she's sticking to that one rule and she's not breaking any laws, then we're good. <laughs> breaking the law. There you go. We, we have that one rule. <laughs> so my, my mom used to tell me, you can go do what you want, but don't call me if you go to jail in high school. <laughs> Right. She knew yeah. I would go out with my friends and the, we used to go to this place called the Hill, you know, you yeah. can what happened I, on the Hill uh, at yeah. teenage years. And she just said, don't call me. You're going to, I'm going to leave you there for 24 hours. So, uh, so I, I appreciate that. Um, well, that, that's really sweet and it's, and it's beautiful. And I, and I love how it's just sort of built in through osmosis, which I think all of us try to do. Um, yeah. But I know some of us, I know plenty of people who were like, well, how do we do all this balance and screen time is the big challenge here and all that kind of stuff. So, um, well, I know we need this flown by and it's been super awesome. So thank you for being here. And by the way, we have to give a, a quick shout out to our, our sponsor before the last question, uh, lead 411. If you're looking for a cool and interesting way to gather intent data and direct dial cell phone numbers, please check out lead 411. Um, but our, our last question obvious, is, is always, not obviously, but always is, how can we help you? What, what can we help Karen do um, business-wise, advice, general advice, some cause you're supporting? What can we do to support you? Well, I guess at the minute, I am on a, uh, this, is, uh, this is probably not a, uh, a particularly exciting one for you guys because you probably nailed this, but I have had a huge fear all of my life of cameras, huge fear. Um, I would rather present to a room full of a thousand people than I would 
to make a video of myself talking. Um, and it's a genuinely disabling fear. It really, it really was quite bad. I don't know if you guys have spent a lot of time watching Friends, but I'm Chandler without any question. Um, so to present on, on a camera like this or to, to make a video for my client has been something that has took me about 10 and a half years to start doing. And in lockdown, I set up a YouTube channel. Yeah, there are only a few videos on there and I think that they're great and we are designing it specifically to develop my skill but to add really great value and I would like feedback and comments and subscriptions on whether my phobia is being overcome publicly or not. So if you could manage that, I'd be pretty, good. I'd be pretty happy. That's great. Uh, we'll we'll dig it up or shoot us. We'll dig it up or shoot us some links to some specific videos that we can uh, check out. Really yeah, I would really love that. I'm not good. I, I'm not I have good the same fear. Yeah, I hate yeah. I hate being on video. Like as I've redesigned things on my website, like my marketing people, I keep telling them like I just hate that picture. I don't like how I look. I don't. I'm very and I've had this problem since I was a kid. Um, so it's a it's a definite self confidence. Yeah concern you know and to your point i can get in front of a group of people and just sort of go but when i see myself on video or hear myself i'm like Ugh. so i i feel that one so karen one last question before we say goodbye how many more years will it be before bristol can get out of of the league one or whatever and get to the premiership <laughs> Well, you're talking to an Arsenal fan, so I don't really care how long it takes. Okay, so right. I don't even care if they never achieve it. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I might not make any friends in the neighbourhood if I'm um, heard saying that. So I'm pretty glad that my friend, my friends might not listen to me either. Um, they yeah, and they don't know what you do, so they're never going to hear you say this, right? So they're never going to listen. Take care. To <laughs> they don't listen to me when I'm talking to them over dinner. So why are they to turn me on any other time? Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Premier League lady all the way. So as long as Arsenal are doing well and staying in that in that top league, Bristol can do what right. they like. <laughs> well, thanks for spending uh, some time with us this afternoon. I know it's uh, getting dinner time over there. Appreciate you. Yeah, it's great. Time for a glass of wine now to celebrate our great chats. I've really enjoyed it. Yep. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, guys. Bye bye.